from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm all for a power nap in, 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 in the day if it's timed correctly and is the correct duration. So that means that a nap should either be 20 minutes or 90 minutes. That erratic sleep schedule, you know, the, the two hours one night you're pulling an all-nighter and then the next day you sleep late, late, late in the morning. Man, that reminds me of exactly how I slept in college. Teenagers are not just being petulant when they don't want to go to bed at 10 p.m. Their bodies are not actually tired yet. And when they don't want to wake up at 6 or 7 to go to school, same thing. Their bodies are not at their peak performance. I'm Sarah Fenske. It's surely no surprise that students who get more sleep do better in college. But a new study drills down further on sleep's relationship to college success. And it suggests that even more than sleep quantity, sleep consistency is absolutely critical for students. That study draws on research done right here in St. Louis at Washington University. It was published last year in Psychology, Health, and Medicine. And joining me now in studio to talk about it is Tim Bono. He's a Washington University University lecturer in psychological and brain sciences. He's also the author of Happiness 101, Simple Secrets to Smart Living and Well-Being. Tim, welcome back. Thanks, Sarah. It's great to be here with you today. So we often think about needing to get enough sleep, but your study suggests it's not just about enough. How so? That's exactly right. So um, in our research, you know, it's been well documented for a long time that the amount of sleep that we get is important for health and our well-being. Um, but more recently, our attention has shifted away from just the amount of sleep that we're getting to this idea of sleep consistency. In other words, there's a couple of ways that you could average eight hours of sleep at night. One way is to get eight hours of sleep every single night. The other way is to get eight hours one night and then two hours the next night and then 14 hours and then you pull some all-nighters and then you catch up over the weekend. Um, but what we're finding is that a highly erratic sleep schedule, that itself can cause disturbances to our psychological health and well-being. And among individuals who are who set a sleep schedule where day in and day out they're getting a consistent amount of sleep, that itself is just as important and some might say even more important than the amount of sleep that we're getting. You know, when you were talking about that erratic sleep schedule, you know, the, the two hours one night you're pulling an all-nighter and then the next day you sleep late, late, late in the morning. Man, that reminds me of exactly how I slept in college, and I imagine I'm not alone in that. Yes. I mean, if you talk to most college students, um, that tends to be par for the course, especially around times of high anxiety or during finals or midterms. Um, but what we're finding is that among students who prioritize sleep consistency, that they have particular times where they're going to bed and getting up in the morning, even though that might reduce the number of hours that they are awake, what we find is that you can think of sleep as an investment. If you if you carve out the time to, to get good, high-quality sleep at night consistently, that ensures that the hours that you are are awake are going to be um, allowing you to perform at your, your optimal potential. And so you were actually able to find this out, not just in a self-reported kind of way where I say, oh yeah, I think I am feeling better because I slept better. You actually got permission from these students in this study to, to pull their grades. So like you're getting them straight from the registrar. We did. So we recruited a large group of, of first-year college students and we had them um, we measured how much sleep they were getting over the course of the semester. Um, and again, we looked not only at how much sleep they were getting, but we also looked at um, the fluctuation in their sleep patterns. And what we found is that um, those students who 
who had the most consistent patterns not only showed improvement in their academic performance, but also in their, their mental health. We know that that was another outcome um, that was associated with it. Yes, and those students gave us permission to look to access their, their grades. And so we were able to track that as well. Um, and sure enough, it's the students who made it a priority to get a, a consistent amount of sleep they were the ones who showed the biggest gains in their academic performance and their mental health. So is it possible this is a correlation and not a causation? Like when I think of that sort of responsible college student who's managing to go to bed while the rest of us are partying, like, yeah, that's probably somebody who's going to succeed more. It's a great question, Sarah. Yeah. And that's always a question that comes up anytime you have data. Well, is it the case that the students who at baseline were happier and um, who were already performing well academically, that those were the students who just chose to structure their, their sleep schedule in a particular way. But what this study allows us to do, because of its longitudinal nature, we were able to track these students over time. And what you find is that even among the students who at baseline were struggling academically or were struggling with their mental health, even among those students who structured their sleep schedules to be consistent over the course of the semester, even those students saw significant gains in their happiness, reductions in stress, and improvements to their academic performance. Hmm. So it sounds like there's some takeaways here that we should all be paying attention to. I have to ask, though, there are times where it's just not possible to maintain that consistent sleep schedule. If I pull an all-nighter, is it better to then try to force myself back on my schedule, even if it means less overall sleep? Really good question, yeah. So if you have to choose one or the other, one thing that you might try to do in that situation is see if you can carve out time for a nap during the day that would allow you um, to catch a second win in the afternoon so that you more easily can go to bed at a reasonable hour that evening um, and then wake up around you know a consistent time that next morning. So I'm all for a power nap in, in, in the day if it's timed correctly and is the correct duration. Tim, I always love having you on this show. And who is going to give us a recommendation to take a nap? This is like, I think everybody listening to this is like, I like this. But the idea is if you take that nap, then you don't have to crash out the next day until 11 a.m., 12 p.m., kind of college student wake-up times. Right, because if, if you do that, then that can affect your circadian rhythm, and, and that can be problematic um, in, in, pre in preventing you from getting back on track to that sleep consistency. Yeah, so just a quick um, note about a power nap, because a lot of people say, well, when I wake up from a nap, I actually feel worse than when I, I lay down from the nap. There's a good chance that nap was too long. Mm -hmm. We know that when we sleep, we cycle between phases of fast-wave sleep and slow-wave sleep. For a nap to be effective, you want to wake up during fast-wave sleep. So that means that a nap should either be 20 minutes or 90 minutes. A 45-minute nap means that you're waking up during slow-wave sleep, and that's where you have that feeling that you're discombobulated and really groggy. It's because the brain has to go from slow-wave sleep to fast-wave sleep when you're awake. But a 20-minute nap or a 90-minute nap means that you're waking up during that fast-wave sleep, and you're much more likely to wake up feeling refreshed and restored. The 20-minute power nap. You can't let it go on too long. This is some news you can use here. We have heard from a lot of people on social media sharing about just how bad they slept in college. As some say, this has been something they've carried with them. Amy says on Twitter, during the week in college, I slept the bare minimum, then crashed on the weekend, sleeping 10 to 11 hours to catch up. Um, a person on Twitter who goes by Wake Up, this is kind of a, a timely name here, says, those habits are still with me despite college being 20 years ago. I've only recently begun to attempt to get better sleep. Alzheimer's scares the crap out of me. So it's good to know that, that Wake Up understands that he or she has to pull this together. Do you feel 
like it, that these kind of habits, if we get too deep into them in college, it's just hard to break. Absolutely. It's like any other habit. It's, it's kind of like almost like playing the piano or learning a language. The, the way you get better at those things is by practicing them. And if we can prioritize um, going to bed and waking up at a particular, at, at the same time, day in and day out, that um, is, is a habit that will, will carry us through, especially those difficult things. And I'll add to Wake Up's comment about Alzheimer's. That's a reason why it's so important to prioritize healthy sleep, because it, if we don't get proper sleep, um, that can lead to the accumulation of amyloid plaques, which over time can um, increase the likelihood of, of developing something like Alzheimer's disease in, in later age. So, so good sleep is important, not only day-to-day -day feeling good, but also long-term diseases that it can stave off. Tim, I find myself thinking about your students, the ones who were enrolled in this study. Do you think being part of this study and actually getting to see then the published results, do you think that hit this home for them in a way that it wouldn't necessarily hit home just being discussed in class? Well, certainly, you know, when you are a part of a study and you're able to to see for yourself what are the outcomes of this, um, there's always a question, does, does that affect behavior? And occasionally I'll sit down with the students and I'll say, okay, so here's the data. So if, if you had this data and you can get into a time machine and go back to the beginning of the semester, do you think that would have changed anything? And a lot of these students say, honestly, I don't think that it would because it's one thing to, to understand this on an intellectual level, but a lot of them say, I had to make the mistakes and learn from those mistakes myself. Um, in order to to develop those those good habits, um, I do think that there's still value in communicating the benefits of this and encouraging good uh, good habits to be developed. Um, but yeah, it's one thing to to see it in print, and another thing to have to make the mistakes and then have to make modifications from your own experience. So something else that's coming up on on social media from our listeners, people talking about just how early start times are for kids that are even younger than college. This is a big issue. Madeline tweeted that when she was in school, start time. Was was 7.45 a.m. with the expectation of being in class by 7.30 a.m. usually. The earlier start time was hard on most of us, but most of my friends and classmates at least somewhat adapted. I had to have my mom basically guide me through all functions and do a lot for me. I struggled with staying awake and paying attention in first through third period classes. Carissa added a 7.20 a.m. start time in high school at the St. Louis Public Schools. That seems wrong. That's wrong, I think, for anybody, but especially for teenagers. We know that there is a shift in the circadian rhythm that occurs during puberty such that the natural um, th that the body's natural desire to wake up and fall asleep goes back a couple of hours. So teenagers are not, are not just being petulant when they don't want to go to bed at 10 p.m. Their bodies are not actually tired yet. And when they don't want to wake up at 6 or 7 to go to school, same thing. Their bodies are not at their peak performance. Um, and so there has been research looking at what happens when a school shifts start time from, say, 7.20 to 8.20. That simple modification um, plays itself out not only in academic performance because the students, um, their, their brain brains are better able to learn when they're at that, that peak level of arousal, but also you see reductions in behavioral problems, you see reductions in, in car accidents because mm -hmm. they're better able to pay attention. Um, and so it is something that is worthwhile for schools to take a look at, um, especially high schools where you've got a lot of teenagers where that circadian rhythm is shifted. Um, and it's it's all about aligning the expectations student, students are expected to, to carry out in terms of their emotional well-being and their cognitive performance with what the body naturally is is um, positioned to do based on where their, their peak levels are. So in some ways, this isn't just on the individual, although, of course, there's all there's things we can all do. There's maybe some policy changes that should come out of this. Yes. I mean, I think that we could say that that sleep is contributing to um, is, is really at a public health level because it, it affects how we all interact with each other, the, the work we're able 
able to carry out um, and even performance on the road or performance more generally in society. You know what? I'm going to squeeze in a phone call. We have a, a phone caller who is making a point that I think ties nicely into this. Um, uh, this is Patrick calling from Glen Carbon, Illinois. Uh, Patrick, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. How you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Um, yeah, my, my uh, sister-in-law is a surgeon, and she works up at the Mayo Clinic, and I've seen her do these insane, you know, 24, 30, you know, 35-hour shifts straight through, and like doctors in the emergency room, uh, they do these incredibly long shifts, and if the medical community knows about these sleep patterns and the benefits of proper sleep, why do they still do these long, long shifts? Uh, Patrick, I think that's a great question. How do they justify requiring these kind of schedules, knowing what we know from their own research? Yeah, it's a it's a really important question, Patrick, and I can't comment on or tell you know a hospital what to do. But what we know from from the brain science of sleep is that the longer we are are, are up, that can compromise our ability um, for mental acuity and making these life and death decisions. And so um, I think it's something, you know, that that the medical community is looking at. I know that they are concerned about burnout. Um, But yeah, when you look at things like when people are most likely to make mistakes in their personal or professional lives, it often corresponds with that those dips in circadian rhythm or when their their mental faculties are at a a lower capacity, which is typically related to a reduction in how much sleep they've been getting. Hmm. So these sleep schedules and the importance of them, this is not just for undergrads. This is something I I know medical students are forced onto schedules that don't allow them to do this. People out there doing important things to try to make us well. I'd love to see this research really take off. Tim, I'm sure that's true of you as well. Uh, it is. Uh, yeah. When you look at the brain science of sleep, there's there's a lot of benefits that we get from that. Well, Tim Bono, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure, Sarah. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering by Aaron Dorr and production assistance from Jane Mather-Glass. It was mixed and edited by Jane. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.